Well, good morning. As um, was mentioned earlier, my name is Paul. Um, so if you're a visitor, you won't be aware of me, but I'm part of just the pastoral staff. So it's great joy to be starting a new series, The Kingdom of God. Yeah, I heard some kind of cheers. And um, you want to cheer because you're going to be getting this for the next eight weeks, nine weeks. <laughs> and um, so we're starting this series. Why? Why are we going to do this series? And probably one of my main desires this morning is to explain why we're doing this series. I kind of want to whet your appetite, get you excited so that you just keep coming. And if for any reason you can't make it, or even if you're here as a visitor, you're like, I want a lot going. I want to just check on YouTube and catch up on the series. So why are we looking at uh, this, this topic? Because we are ultimately a Bible-believing community a fellowship of people that believe in the Bible. We believe that the Bible has relevance, has implications on how we live our lives. It's kind of our go-to manual on the best way to do life. So if we're seeking to build our lives on the Bible, if we're seeking to get that kind of the principles, the values, the kind of the mindset of what the Bible talks about, then we want to begin to look at the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is foundational. It's a bit like building a, a house. And if you ever built a house or you've seen maybe like a, an extension, foundations are critical. Get that right and then you can build whatever you want in it. If you don't get that right, then you're literally building on rocky ground. Jesus actually talked about one of his kind of parables, one of his stories about people who build on sand and those who build on rock. And if you don't get that foundation right, it can be catastrophic. I used to live in um, Alexandria, Egypt, and roughly about once a year an apartment block would collapse. And um, so it wasn't actually that unusual. And uh, it would normally be somebody built something, and then they try to build more and more on top of it. And they hadn't got the foundations right. And I would argue that one of the foundations is the concept that we're going to be talking about in these next few weeks. This concept about the kingdom of God. Why do I say that? Why do I think it's so foundational? Hopefully it'll become clearer and clearer, but just really kind of give you in some ways one of the punchlines straight away. It's, it's one of the things that Jesus talked about all the time. And if we call ourselves followers of Jesus and trying to be like Jesus, then ultimately we want to be thinking and talking and doing the things that he talked about. And so it's a well-known verse. Uh, I still kind of just know about it. I know it best uh, in an older translation, Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye the first, the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. And so uh, there's one of these verses, you've been around church, maybe like Emmanuel, I was brought up in a kind of church environment and at some point I had to choose to follow Jesus. But this is one of these kind of verses that we learned as a child. Seek first the, the kingdom of God. But I must admit, for the kind of first 20 years of my life that I went to church like twice a week, nobody really talked about the kingdom of God. I mean, it came up in kind of passing because often in churches we, we talk about one of the parables of Jesus. And as um, in a few weeks' time, Dave Van Buren is going to be talking about that. 
you see that in the parables, this concept, this idea of the kingdom of God is, is mentioned. But the focus of the talk was never really on that concept, the kingdom of God. It was more about the, the parable bit of it. It was never kind of tied into this idea of the kingdom of God and the relevance of Jesus and what, why he had come and what he was going to do. So probably the first time I kind of heard anybody speak about the kingdom of God was, actually I can really pin it down, it was when I was 21. At 21, I joined a vineyard church whilst at university in Birmingham. And they began to talk about the kingdom of God all the time. It was one of the key things that's talked about uh, generally in the vineyard church. And that's one of the reasons, again, why we're doing this series, because we realized that we hadn't talked about this in our church for a long time. So it's foundational. So let's start briefly with Jesus. I'm going to go forward, then I'm going to go backwards. And so you read there in Mark 1, verse 15, the verse is there. And uh, Jesus turns up after John the Baptist. And it's like the first words that are kind of communicated in Mark's gospel that Jesus said is like, no, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's like Jesus has appeared on the scene. I mean, they didn't really truly understand who he was at that time. But it's like, you know, first words that you're going to say kind of set the kind of direction. They kind of set your heart. They set your purpose. And what does he begin to talk about? He begins to talk about the kingdom of God. And then this kind of theme, this central message, this mission of his begins to flow through his life. He's kind of proclaiming the kingdom of God for his words, for his teaching, for his parables. Then at the same time, he's demonstrating the principles of the kingdom of God by kind of raising the dead, delivering people, healing people. It's there. It's right through his ministry. And then obviously, um, he dies. He's resurrected. He gathers together the, the people who are his kind of followers just before he ascends, goes back into heaven. And we're told about what he teaches there in Acts 1 verse 3. And it just said he spent his remaining days just teaching about the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, if your first words aren't important, your kind of last words are really important. And he's like, well, what is he going to spend his remaining hours talking to his disciples about? It is the kingdom of God. And then as being mentioned, Pentecost comes. If you're not familiar with it, I know I'm sharing a whole load of stories and um, principles that involve a little bit of knowledge of the Bible. My apologies, but it's the only way I can get through what I need to get through this morning. But we're celebrating today um, Pentecost. Everybody's really excited. Yeah! Comes. Um, well, you might be more excited when I tell you we're having cake because of that. Oh, yeah, now we get interested. So we're having like, a, we, we were talking about this. You know, as we celebrate Pentecost, it's like the, it's the birthday of the church in general, not just Winchester Vineyard, we're not that old. But um, just the church, the universal church. And um, so we're celebrating that today. But what did they do? As we read, there's a book in the Bible called Acts that kind of tells you the the stories of um, the church in the beginning. And it just says, you know, everywhere, you know, they went around preaching the kingdom of God. This theme comes up. 
And then one of the main characters of the book of Acts, if you're not familiar with that book, is this guy called Paul. And and again, I could give you reference after reference through this book. Paul went from this place to that place to this place to that place. And what did he do? He was proclaiming the kingdom of God. I could do like a rhetoric here. The kingdom of God. And then you come to the end of this book, the the last kind of sentences of what we're going to get in the Bible, which is the history of God. And what do we get? And we have it up there in Acts 28, verse 31. This is Paul. So we're talking about Paul again. He remained two whole years in his own rented dwelling and welcomed all those coming into him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And uh, if you feel like I'm laboring a point, yes, I am laboring a point because I want us to begin to grasp why this is so important. And we see in kind of Paul's letters, um, he kind of peppers it through and through again with this concept of the kingdom of God. And then if you happen to know the Bible, you get to the last book, and that book is called Revelation. And in Revelation, you kind of get this picture of what the kingdom of God in its fullness, in its full reality looks like when it comes. However, as we see in a few minutes, this kind of concept of the kingdom of God is not what we, it's just what we'd find in what we call the New Testament. Again, if those who may be visiting or not less familiar with the Bible, the New Testament is kind of stories to do with Jesus and anything after him. The Old Testament is anything before him. But again, through the Old Testament, you have this idea of God's kingdom. God's kingdom, the reality of God's kingdom coming, and because there's one kingdom, there's a kind of clash with another kingdom, this kind of kingdom of darkness. And so it's a crucial kind of concept. It's fundamental to kind of understanding the Bible, to understanding Scripture. As you read the Bible, you know, it's quite easy to look at it and think it's kind of fragmented, a story about this, a story about this, a story about that. But one of the common themes that kind of holds it together, that helps you begin to grasp the big picture, as yet, as well as the kind of the small picture within it, is this idea of the kingdom of God. So there's no kind of minor kind of subject, which is partly why we want to give so many uh, weeks to it. Neither is just a nice theological concept. What I mean by theological is one of these things that you just think about in your head and go, oh, that's interesting. It has major, practical, life-changing implications, both for us individually, both for us as a community, and both as it impacts our communities that we live in if we allow it to do so. So many of the other things that we think of as being fundamental in the Christian faith, so if I was asking you and doing a quiz, and I don't have time to do a quiz and give you prizes, sorry, but if I was giving you like a quiz, I might say, you know, what do you think are some of the fundamentals of Christianity? And so you might say things like Jesus coming. You might say things like Jesus is his death. You might say things like Jesus returning. Uh, again, if I was saying, you know, some of his attributes, you might say, well, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, the power of God, the compassion of God. All these concepts are rooted in an understanding of the kingdom of God and the implications of that. It also has really direct relevance. And again, one of the reasons why we're delving into it as a a vineyard church is some of the things that are dear to us as a church. 
So this is a guy called Derek Moore for you. If you, as I'm sharing and I'm rushing through some stuff, you think, oh, I'd like to delve into this more. You know, I want a book. I wouldn't say it's light reading. It's definitely not light reading. Uh, For my kind of summer holiday. You can read this one, Breakthrough, Discovering the Kingdom. And it's a book that various different ones who are sharing in this series uh, will be using. And he said, Kingdom Theology is the core that forms the basis of this tradition. This is the vineyard. He's a, he's a vineyard theologian. The renewal of the ministry of the Spirit. So this idea of kind of the Holy Spirit, one of the things we value as a, as a movement is just creating space to allow God's Spirit to move. The ministry of healing. So we always create opportunities on a Sunday to get prayed for. The priesthood of every believer, or the phrase that we often use in our church, everyone gets to play. It's not just about people who maybe you see on stage. Every one of us, if we are a follower of Jesus, Jesus is invited to play, to participate. Crucially, in relation to what we're talking about, seeing the kingdom of God extend into all the places that we live. One of the values, again, for us as a movement is church planting, evangelism, ministry to the poor, all these, if you want to have a kind of a foundation for them, are rooted in this idea of the kingdom of God. It's crucial. And that's why we want to delve into it. A good way of seeing this is in relation to that verse I gave you earlier on. Matthew six thirty-three: Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. One thing that I love about that verse is that verse kind of wasn't kind of shared in a kind of classroom setting. It wasn't shared in a kind of like a a lecture. If you look at that passage around Matthew 6, it's found between some chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this was Jesus' response. Response to the, some, the disciples. The disciples were coming along and um, they just had some pressing needs. They were saying, you know, what will we eat? What will we wear? How do we balance life's needs? You know, I was thinking about that and I was thinking that could so well be our situation now. In the kind of situation and economic situation that we are in at this point in time. Maybe you're asking some of those questions. What are we literally going to eat? What are we going to wear? How are we going to balance all of life's needs? I don't know about you, but life seems to be so much more busier and chaotic. Do I do this? Do I do that? You know, a lot of the stresses and worries that are prevalent in our society at this point in time is trying to figure out how to do life. Some of the questions the disciples were doing. And I don't know... I suspect I would have answered very differently than Jesus did, but the way that Jesus kind of responded to this was this kind of thing, seek first the kingdom of God. Kind of Jesus reassures them, that promising them as they seek the kingdom of God before anything else in life, that all these other things shall be added. In other words, prioritizing the kingdom does not minimize other aspects of life. It just puts them 
into perspective. As we get, it's like Jesus is saying, as we get this bit right, everything else begins to fall into place. This is why it begins to become really relevant and practical, not just the head, or oh, that's interesting discussion. Because as we let this truth and some of the things that are going to be, I'm sharing today and the rest of the people over the coming weeks sharing more detail, as we let that become like the center place, it helps us to figure out life. I like what this guy called Jeremy Treat. I love his surname. And uh, the kingdom of God doesn't have to compete with our work, hobbies, relationships, and other important aspects of life. In fact, when rightly understood, the kingdom will enhance every aspect of our life, infusing them with fresh meaning and significance. What matters most gives perspective to anything that matters at all. Jesus spent so much time talking about the kingdom of God because it is not just another thing his disciples needed to learn. The kingdom of God was the framework for everything they needed to learn. Seek first the kingdom is a call to keep the main theme the main theme. And I, I love that. If, uh, if I had more time, it's one of these things when I used to kind of teach, it would be you'd put that up and then just say, take five or ten minutes and just to reflect on that. You know, underline the phrases that come out to you. And I think one of the things that hit me was just, when rightly understood. That was one of the reasons we're doing this series, to try to help us understand that. It will enhance. I just love that idea that just, I mean, who doesn't want every aspect of their life to be enhanced, improved? Every sphere, not just work, but family life, relational life. And, you know, the, the list can go on, Enhanced. Every aspect of your life infused, I mean, I love that word, with meaning and significance. Wow. You should be just like whetting your appetite for that. And so that's crucial. And in the world where we live, where it seems to be so topsy-turvy, where things can suddenly change, where suddenly we have good health and then we don't have health, where we suddenly have a job and then we don't have a job, where death kind of creeps up, creeps up on people and individuals that we just love so dearly, where there's so much change happening in our lives, it's good to have a rock, a foundation that we can go to. And the kingdom of God is that. The reality of the kingdom of God, which Paul in one of his books talks about being a place of righteousness and peace and joy. I mean, who doesn't want that? That is the kingdom of God. So hopefully you're kind of salivating. And uh, I want to know more. I want to know more. So what is it? I'm going to, again, just can always whet your appetite by giving you some definitions. But like most of these things, it becomes clearer as I and other people that share in this series begin to expand upon it. So here's just a couple of definitions of this idea. The kingdom of God is God's reign, his sovereign action in the world to redeem and deliver a people. The kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's place. 
So just looking at that a little bit, the, the, the key word that comes up again and again, whatever definition that you look at in relation to the kingdom of God is this idea of God reign. God reign. I mean, I could literally just stop there. Because if we grasp the idea that God is reigning, that he's overall in charge, then you go, phew. I read this yesterday. It's not actually my notes. I didn't have time to put it in. But I read somebody yesterday said, we can only truly learn to rest in God when we really understand that God reigns. You see, when we really believe that God reigns, we can put everything into his hands and then we can come to that place of rest. I mean, there's one idea where this concept is more than a theory. It's a, a reality. God is reigning. It's easy for us, as soon as we find it a little bit harder to grasp, uh, for those, you know, if, kind of born in the United Kingdom, because we have this phrase, the United Kingdom. And so we have this kingdom. Why? Because we have this kind of geographical area and people that are kind of like, born or live within that are in this kind of country called the kingdom of God. But the kingdom, in the sense that that is used in scripture, the kingdom creates a realm. The kingdom creates a people. But the kingdom of God is not synonymous with the realm or its people. Not because there are people. The reason there is a kingdom is because there is a king. And there's a king who is reigning. He is on the throne. Again, we see this again and again through the Old Testament in particular. There's just verses that declare that he is over all and that he is reigning. He is ruling. He is in charge. He's governing. But the idea of the kingdom of God is that God wants to see that kingdom outworked in every situation, in every life. One of the other phrases that often comes up when you begin to look at definitions of the kingdom of God and the reality of it are words like John Piper has there, this word redeem, which I'll explain a little bit more in a minute. And this idea of saving. Again, using the definition of Jeremy Trees, again, you see that word God is reigning. He is king of kings. He's not one of many, but he's the one that is the king. He is over all. He has the sole authority and power. It's not one of these things where it kind of can come and go. It's not one of these things like because of the work I'm doing, I'm looking at what's happening in Turkey and waiting for the election results. Who's going to come in power? Who's going to, is it going to be a change in government? There's no change in government. There's no swing vote with God. He is overall all. And he's coming He's come to reign and he's going to carry on reigning and outworking that reigning. In the world that's marred by sin because of sin, and that as a result of that, we have suffering, we have loss, we have pain, we have hopelessness, we have depression, selfishness, shame, slavery, addictions, lack of self-worth. The list goes on. But God is coming. He's reigning. He's redeeming. I was watching this program this week. Oh, what's it called? Uh, I think it's called a repair shop or something like that. Is that right? You got the idea, and yeah. So I was watching it with my uh, with my mum, and that is kind of like what it's like when you begin to talk about God's reign coming. This idea of restoring, and we're going to look at some passages in the Old Testament in a minute where everything was perfect and everything got marred. 
And then God's kingdom, God's reign is when he begins to restore the masterpieces. You see, each one of us is a masterpiece. Each one of us has the signature of God upon our lives. And we've been battered. Life batters us. And a bit like in this program, somebody brings something along and you kind of look at it and you're thinking, my goodness, can they repair this? Can this be restored? And then they bring in the experts and they come back and it looks amazing at the end. That's what it's about. That's what the God's kingdom outworking itself looks like. So in the coming weeks, we're going to go deep, deep into this foundation. But we're also going to go wide in relation to the application and the implications of this truth, the kingdom of God. Or as Jesus often referred to it, the good news. Because it is good news. So we're going to go to the foundation of the foundation. So let's start at the very beginning. I felt like singing because that's in the sound of music. You know, if you're familiar with that, there's a song that has those words in it. Let's start at the very beginning. So if you have your Bible, again, I'm going to, I got a lot to get in today. But I'm going to start right at the beginning at Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And if you go through, explains just more and more of creation. But jumping ahead, it's the only way. I would encourage you to kind of go back and read kind of the first three chapters of Genesis But for time's sake, I'm just picking on certain bits. In verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the seas and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Jumping to chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. The Lord God took man, they had made, and Eve, and put, the, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord had commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now jumping down in my Bible to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the servant, We may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then a man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then my last jump to chapter 3, verses 21 to 24. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. The Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed him on the east side of the garden of Eden, cherub. He placed on the garden of Eden cherubim a flaming sword flashing backwards and forth to guard the way back to the tree of life. So kind of just to kind of summarize and trying to knit together all those verses because it would take me quite a while to read the first three chapters and I'd encourage you to go back. But you kind of start this story with chaos. We told you know, that it was, the earth was desolate, without life, barren. But God turns up, he speaks and creates the earth. He creates Eden, and it's good. He then creates man and makes him in, the, in his image to enjoy Eden. A plan for a glorious kingdom, when we were talking about kingdom, where everything was perfect, everything was in its right place, everything was as it should be. Fruitful, life fulfilled, purposeful, meaningful, life in all its fullness. And as we read, God placed in that garden Adam and Eve to tend for it. But they were also invited to multiply, to expand Eden's borders to the ends of the earth. So in some ways, Genesis 1 to 2, and this for me was quite an interesting concept, and it began to make sense um, that I hadn't done before, presents us not in some ways with a final product, but with an unfinished product. I like what this guy, um, I meant, quoted him earlier, Jeremy Treat said, Adam and Eve were called to Edenize the world. My wife tells me I like to create new words. Also, I like it when other people do so as well. Creates this word, this kind of verb, turns a noun into a verb. Invited to Edenize. You see, we're made in the image of the creator, the king. And they were told to subdue. Subdue the earth. That's why I put that extra verse down there because we're going to focus on that. And to have dominion. The word that is used kind of subdue and to multiply and to impact is a kind of conquering word. This idea of what kings did when they went into a new place and they're saying that we are making this place new. We're transforming it. Bringing life to it. It's a bit like when you have a bad hair day. And um, I don't know if you've ever had one. It seems to be as I get older, my, I have more bad hair days than I used to do. But this, you know, your hair is all over the place. You kind of wake up, you know, I often do this with my wife, Katie. I go, can I go out like this? And she goes, yes or no. I, you know, that gives me the, 
And, uh, and since you guys know, Paul, go and have a shower. And the main reason is just to kind of sort out your hair. Bring it back into its right place. This is what we're going to mean. Maybe if you find the words, and I'm not going to go into the Hebrew, subdue, bring control. Just think of a bad heart, hair day. You're bringing order to that which has gone a little bit chaotic. Maybe another illustration from me from my garden. I'm not the greatest gardener, and I'm going to leave it for a while. And you're going to go into your garden, and they say, you know, it's gone wild. It's just all over the place. And you're there to kind of subdue it. You're trying to bring your domain over it. It's like, right, I'm going to deal with you weeds. I'm going to sort you out. This is, going to, this is what we mean by that, that idea. And uh, it's not generally a concept, as it says, it's not how most people think of Eden. The common assumption is that God created the world perfect and complete, and that sin marred God's perfect creation. And so the goal is redemption is to get back to Eden. This is partially correct, but doesn't go far enough. For some of you, that's going to rock your brain. Anyhow, go away and think about that. You can take a picture and discuss it over your lunch. Salvation is aimed at recovering Eden and their Edenic vision of God's reign over the earth. The kingdom is about God's reign over the earth, bringing restoration back to this broken world. His kingship and his kingdom, his aim is to do that. And so you begin to see this through scripture. I'll touch a little bit on this next week because I happen to be speaking next week as well. But you begin to see right there in the book, first book, books of the Bible where God is calling a people because he's inviting them to enter into the redemption and restoration of the earth. And it starts by individuals like you and I saying, God, we want you to reign in our lives. We want you to be in charge of your life. We want to see your kingdom firstly start in our lives. And as we do that, begin to see his kingdom come through our lives into the lives of those around us. It's that kind of multiplication um, process. And so in the whole Old Testament, you begin to see this, where people say yes to God. They submit to the kingdom and the reality and the reign of God in their lives. And then they make choices where they decide to let other fiends begin to reign uh, in their lives. And then right at the end of the Old Testament, we get what's called the prophets. And they talk about a day when the kingdom of God will come in its full reality. But that's a story another day. So as I come into land, where does that leave us this morning? Let me just throw out a few thoughts because most of my time this morning has been maybe trying to whet your appetite and get you thinking about this and beginning to like, wow, I want to make sure I'm there next week and the following week. This seems to be a really important theme. But I don't want to just leave you with a kind of theoretical concept. Here's just a few thoughts I kind of just thought about this morning. We need to live our lives from the perspective of God's kingdom. Like I said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, his reign. We need to keep asking ourselves, are we seeking his kingdom first? Where do our priorities lie? And I'm going to give you much time to think about these um, if you're in a life group, if you're not in a life group, these are groups that meet during the week. And I know a number of life groups are going to be looking at this kind of 
uh, this subject matter. And these are some of the places where you begin to just take hold of what you hear on a Sunday and really root it and ground it in your life. What does it look like? You see, it's easy to put relationships, career, self-worth before the kingdom of God. Maybe take a moment. Jesus said, yeah, I seek first the kingdom of God. An easy way to look at it, I always say, is look at how you spend your time, energy, and money. They give you some ideas of what you're seeking first. I'm going to be really blunt. Where is it? Secondly, what areas of our life do we need to allow him to subdue, to bring underneath the dominion of God? Another way is to consider your, and I borrowed this from, I actually put the verse, chapter Page 47. And Charles cleverly is consider your inner landscape. Is it a beautiful garden or overgrown with thorns, neglected, uncared for, unfruitful? Or the phrase I'd say would be, is it barren? As you look at your life, there's any area of your life that feels barren? Is there any area of your life that feels neglected, uncared for? And I, I never throw out a challenge I don't do for myself. So Yesterday, I just took some time, and I was looking at my relationships. I was looking at my relationship with my wife, Katie, and I was thinking, is this a beautiful garden at the moment? Or are there some weeds? Are there some bits I need to tend to here? I was looking at my relationship individually with each one of my children and going, is there any area of my life here that's barren, not as fruitful as it could be? And I could quite easily begin to just go from my kind of two or three different jobs I do in the week and Think about it in the sense of my neighbors. The list can go, can go on, but this is where it becomes really real and real practical. You see, where the kingdom of God is, we're told there's righteousness, peace, joy, and I was always afraid there, kind of hope, because there's peace and joy. Our every area of our life glistening with hope. And so these are things to think about. Just a couple more, and still leave some time for ministry. Just... I just thought I'd pick on it on one particular subject area, prayer. Prayer is very close to my, my heart. How does an understanding of the kingdom of God affect how we pray? You see, if I really believe that God is overall king of all kings, how does that affect the way that I pray into issues and situations? I know the right answer. We all know the right answer, that he's king, that he's overall. But how is that reflected in the way that I pray Again, using that phrase, I quite like hope. Is hope attached to every prayer I pray? And maybe for you it is, but for me, not always. Does it affect what I pray for? Wow. You know, he's king of kings, he's overall. Do I ask too little sometimes? And when we're told that we should ask the nations for our inheritance, sometimes I ask for very little. Then lastly, we're all building some kind of kingdom. Every day as we live our lives, we are building some type of kingdom in the sense of the values and the reality of one type of kingdom. We have a choice of which kingdom we're building. And I use this word, the definition of treats, which he talks about places. What I mean by that is each one of us is being put in a certain place for such a time as this. And again, I don't have time to expand it all. It might be you're in... Um, in employment, maybe you're retired, maybe you're at school, maybe you're at college, maybe on the dole queue, wherever you live geographically, 
We're in those places at, at this point in time. What would it look like to see his kingdom come in that place? You see, we love as, as followers of Jesus to pray, let your kingdom come. But you know what? The main way that God's kingdom come is through us. God sometimes is in his graciousness and his goodness just thinks, you know, I'm fed up with, I don't know, that's not, that's not the right word. I'm going to just work around man. I'm not going to wait for them to do something. I'm just going to break through. But generally the way that he likes to see these things happen is through us. And so maybe the, the, the message with that is, do we want to participate with him? Is there places we need to say, you know, God, as I go into that workplace, Katie and I went to a place recently. I'm not going to mention the exact place, but we went to a cafe shop there. And we just looked and said, you know what? The, I'm, you know, it was just, it was depressing. Nobody was smiling. It was just, there was a heaviness over that place. And it's like, what would it look like for us to bring the kingdom of God here? And Katie just, there was one um, waitress that was slightly cheerful. And Katie just commented on it. Use a phrase in the vineyard where she saw something good, she poured petrol on it. So it burnt more. It can be as simple as that. We often go into situations and go, oh, I don't like that environment. I don't like the, the values, the kingdom, things that are happening there. Greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. We have that opportunity. What does that look like? I never finish there. Normally I just go, there you go, Laura. <laughs> you sort it out. I've thrown out many kind of questions there. Maybe just take a moment just to pause and ask God, what's he saying to you this morning? It might be something very personal where he's saying, you know, Oh.